0: Today's reading is from 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1, it's on page 304 of your church Bible. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. Please keep your Bibles open. If you're thinking about the memory uh, test we had of 1 Samuel, you see that those. Three names are in today's reading. We'll learn about them a bit more. But first, uh, the children are going to go off to their group, and we've got a special room for them. And uh, it's outside. And it's outside. Yeah, take your coat. Okay, well, let me start by uh, asking uh, a simple question to begin with. What would it be like for you and me to live in a proper kingdom? Now, in Britain, you could say we live in a kingdom, but it's not a proper kingdom, it's a parliamentary democracy where King David Cameron has got more clout than the Queen. And uh, you'll forgive me for the little bit of uh, head-switching that we've done. But it's interesting, isn't it, that countries that don't call themselves kingdoms are more what you would call a proper kingdom than countries like ours that would consider ourselves a united kingdom. And so, for example, Russia doesn't have a king, but King Putin does what he wants and no one's going to stop him. He's more of a king in Russia than... President Obama is in America, does exactly what he pleases. It's interesting, isn't it, that countries that are ruled by communism invariably have kings acting in charge of them. So for example, another one uh, is uh, King Jong-un. He happens to be the first secretary of the Workers' Party of Korea. That sounds like a union man, doesn't it? but actually he heads the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which is North Korea, and he is absolutely a king. So what's it like to live in a proper kingdom? Well, have a look there, and we'll look away, because actually it's evil. People who managed to escape that kingdom have described conditions there in a way that has led Human Rights Watch to refer to North Koreans as some of the world's most brutalized people. In fact, even in countries like ours, where people can choose their leaders, every so often we have to change our leaders because they aren't what we hoped they would be. Hello. And so it seems that uh, whenever we have uh, someone who becomes a leader, uh, we have uh, a situation where we end up disappointed in them. And we start off excited and we end up by saying, oh, we had hoped that they would uh, redeem our country, reward our country, but it hasn't worked out like that. It seems wherever a leader is in charge in human history, it ends in tears. And someone's got to change it. Which is actually a problem for us Christians. Because we talk about living in a kingdom with a king. And no one likes dictatorships. So why is it going to be attractive to live with Jesus as a proper king? Uh, I think Barbara is making... I thought there was fireworks going on. I think it's Barbara, Barbara having fun at the back. <laughs> um, so, it is interesting, is it? The Christians talk about a kingdom and no one has a good kingdom to say, oh, that's an attractive way to think about him. So why would we want to make Jesus our king? Well, the answer comes out in the bit of the Bible that we are going to be studying to Samuel and it shows us what it's going to be like to live in a proper kingdom. In other words, look at what the king is like and if you see the character of the king, something that comes out as wonderfully attractive, then you can say, hey, that's a kingdom I want to be part of. And so that's what the Bible does to win our trust, to win our confidence. It opens our eyes to the character of the king who's in charge. And then we begin to suddenly want that kingdom uh, to be our kingdom. We say, may that kingdom come. And that's what this part of the Bible is there to get us longing for. Now, Jesus never had a kingdom the way we would call a kingdom, but 2 Samuel shows us someone who did. His name is David, and in the Bible, King David is there to get us ready to see what his greater descendant, Jesus, is going to be like. Jesus was, uh, if you like, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of David, and... uh, uh, David is a preview as to what Jesus is going to be like. He's in the Bible to do that job for us. And David, when he was king, didn't run a fairy-tale kingdom where everybody lives happily forever after. Now, David was in charge of a real kingdom that was in the first 40 years of the very first millennium. So, a thousand years before Jesus comes we get a preview of what his kingdom will be like in the kingdom of david and in verse one of 2 samuel chapter one which is all we're going to look at tonight three things happen that help us to understand the kingdom of jesus we're mainly going to look at two of them and the first thing we're going to look at and see in 2 samuel chapter 1 verse 1 the king is dead turns us at the start after the death of Saul. That Read All About It news, uh, Abigail, do you know what comes to the front? Here. Um, And um, uh, that uh, Read All About It uh, uh, headline of uh, the king being dead. Come in, Natalie. Hi, everyone. Now, again, I think uh, there's, um, uh, our children are in a different place today. Hannah will take you to them. Uh, Dorothy, it's okay. We've got chairs. We've got chairs. Um, okay. So the read all about it newspaper headline where well, the king died it was something we looked at last week when we finished looking at the Book of One Samuel. And we watched Saul die horribly, humiliatingly at the end of a dismal battle. That was the last chapter of 1 Samuel, but before that, in the whole book of 1 Samuel, we managed to look at his life, which, to be perfectly honest, was a bit of a failed experiment. I'll tell you why. Because his people, Saul's people, the nation of Israel, God's people, if you like, in the Old Testament, they didn't want their country to be run by God speaking to them through a prophet. They wanted their country to be run by a king, like everybody else, who will go in front of them, who will lead their armies, and who will kick, well, in their case, the Philistines, who were the traditional enemies of their day, And that's what they wanted their king to do. And so God gave them what they asked for, a king like that. In fact, the name Saul means asked for. And they got what they asked for at the start because Saul did go and kick Philistines and he won battles. But God said that this experiment would only work if the king did what God told him to do through the prophets so just uh, keep a finger in, one, uh, in one, 2 Samuel 1 and just flick back to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14 and you will see on page 282 this is what uh, Samuel tells uh, the people now here is the king you have chosen the one you asked for See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. It will work well if you do that. Fortunately, they didn't do that. So, in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13 verses 13 and 14, you see how Saul didn't listen. He wanted to please the crowd. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, 14, uh, Samuel said, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command." So Saul is no longer going to be the king, and I'll tell you something. He went one worse. In one Samuel chapter fifteen, God came and told Saul, "Look, um, uh, you've got to uh, uh, get rid of a group of uh, evil people called the Amalekites." And so, uh, and so, uh, Saul told uh, Samuel told Saul, "Go." and get rid of the Amalekites. But again, Saul is the people pleaser rather than the God pleaser. He pleased the people. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 and 26, he didn't do what God said. He spared the king of the Amalekites. And so in chapter 15, verses 24 and 25, and uh, um, 26 Uh, then Saul said to Samuel I have sinned I violated the Lord's command and your instructions I was afraid of the men so I gave in to them now I beg you forgive my sin and come back with me so I may worship the Lord but Samuel said to him I will not go back with you you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel so Saul was going to be the king. The king they wanted to be over them like the rest of the world. But now effectively what's happened is that he loses his kingdom. And he gets taken away from him. that would be a long time before he finally gets to the end of his life and the, and the kingdom ends that way. But the story in that sense has already been told and in the last chapter the king is dead and so you see in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel verse 1 that uh, God's rejection of Saul finally did lead to his death and if there was an Israelites a person who lived in that country at the time he might well have come out with these words. You know, we had hoped that Saul was the person who was going to redeem Israel. Didn't happen. Big disappointment. And yet, it fell just like this, just like this, a thousand years later, when again the Lord's anointed king died. And again, when Jesus died on the cross, like Saul, it was a humiliating death. Again, it was a sign that God had rejected him. Again, hopes were dashed. Someone did say, We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And it is a terrible thing to read the death of God's king. And it gets uh, a little preview of uh, the king who will die on the cross but just look at that verse again because you see another name mentioned, David yes the king is dead but long live the king, that's the second point because it is interesting how the death of Saul and David returning from striking down the Amalekites all that happened on the same day uh, Saul dies yep he's like the world and he's uh, dead but David wins and it's a very significant victory if you can see because actually it's a victory over the Amalekites they're the ones that Saul was meant to defeat in chapter 15 and that's the reason why Saul had his king take, kingship taken away from him because he didn't Destroyed the Amalekites, but now David, where Saul had failed, David is there to reverse that failure. He does what Saul didn't do. He reverses the failure of Saul. Now, that little victory that Jesus is winning against the, uh, David is winning against the Amalekites, if you like, is happening in the background. The big news we saw last week was uh, Saul's death. But while that was going on, on the same day, there was a victory going on behind the scenes that would lead to David becoming the next king. Now, you see as you go through the story that there'd be some people in Israel who didn't want David to be king. But before we get to their resistance, we're told right at the start that David is the one who God has set before his people as the one who will bring them victory. And the one who will reverse the failure of what had happened before. You see, that is why verse 1, even though it's a thousand years before Jesus, is the perfect setup for us to understand about Jesus. Because that verse is about two men, it's about Saul dying and about David winning but those two events merge into one day it happens on the, at the same time and on the cross those two men essentially merge into one man who does both things on the same day that he dies so Like Saul, Jesus died under God's judgment. He was rejected by God. And so much so that if you just concentrated on that, Jesus dying on the cross, you could turn around and say, well, how can he be God's chosen king? Because he's the one who clearly is God's rejected king. But while that death was going on the cross, there was a victory going on as well. The same man who died under God's judgment is going to come ultimately into the limelight as uh, uh, the one who is God's king in the resurrection of Jesus. So that when uh, David, uh, when, when Paul, uh, I hadn't written this down in my notes to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, I'll read it to you if you don't like to find the page. It's uh, If you want to find the page, it's on page 1129. But Romans 1, uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, it says about Jesus how he, through the Spirit of Holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, so that uh, resurrection victory makes him uh, the victor of the day. Uh, just like David. So, uh, not everyone, when Jesus explains to them, will uh, will, will accept Jesus as the king. We find that in the New Testament as the story goes on. But the story starts with that amazing victory uh, of his resurrection over death. And it's a win that reverses our failure. Mankind is just like Saul. We've got a really bad track record of listening to God, of obeying him, of doing what he says. We're a massive total disaster era when it comes to that. We are failures, big time failures. But the new king reverses that failure uh, so that our whole position in front of God is uh, changed. And he was able to do that because he was the ultimate man after God's own heart. You remember how Saul was told that he was going to be put aside and instead God's people were going to get someone after his own heart in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, verses 13 to 14, where David is the man after God's own heart, Jesus is the man after God's own heart, and he is wonderfully the one uh, who uh, reverses the failure of uh, mankind and uh, brings a great victory for them in order that they can be part of that victory in his kingdom. So, wonderful, wonderful start to, one, to, to Samuel that tells us all about him as we read about Saul dying and David's victory. Now, what's that got to teach us today? But if you're someone who's new to Christian things and um, uh, you're wondering about all this talk about Jesus being the king and you're not quite sure whether you can really want that for yourself or not because you're put off by the experience of the past, the way that whenever there's a king, life goes bad. And we kind of think that if we live under Jesus, then life goes bad the same way. Well, let me explain how this passage helps us because yes things do go bad when earthly rulers take charge and Saul is if you like the earthly ruler that is like every earthly ruler we've ever had on our planet Saul is every dictator Saul is every president Saul is every prime minister who starts hopeful and then ends up Uh, having failed, but don't give up hope because that is the experience of our world. There is another king and it's different because he is different. And as you open your eyes to what uh, David is like and see increasingly the attractiveness of God's king, and as you see his character grow and develop in front of your eyes, that's when you will see in him will be a brand new start to your life. Because that's what he wants for you. Whenever he turned up, when you, what he would say to you, if he was to turn up to and speak to you, he would speak two words. How do we know that? Because he spoke those same two words when he came up first to talk to people uh, when he became a man. And the two words are these, follow me, follow me in my kingdom, treat me like a real king, and my character will reverse all the standing that you have in front of God, my character will turn you into someone like me, reversing the defeats and the disasters of the past. He is the king who can do that, follow him, treat him as a real king. That's what becoming a Christian is about. While you've had a long experience of going to church, now, let me just kind of keep the the, the pictures going. Uh, Don't follow Saul. What happens if uh, you've got a long experience of going to church? I think we need to be careful about following any human leader. I... It wouldn't be surprising if we went around this room and asked people. It wouldn't surprise me at all if people have had some pretty bad experiences of church leaders or certainly read about them in the newspapers. And we might think the answer to that is, well, at least there are some good ones. Uh, we've got, uh, I haven't got Saul, he is horrible, but we've got David. And David's a good king, isn't he? Well, yes, he is, chapters 1 to 8. But in chapter 9, you see that David himself topples. And I'm hoping therefore you see tonight that both Saul and David, all human leaders of God's people, are only good in certain ways. There might be some attractive qualities about them that we'd like to admire and follow and imitate. But by and large, they are all there to point to a greater king. The real leader of God's people, which is King Jesus. And I'm hoping that the sure and foundation of Beckantry Church, our little fellowship, would be that actually we all as a group recognise that whoever leads this church is going to be pretty weak. And that we don't actually rest our hopes and our trust in whoever's in charge here but we ultimately constantly keep our confidence levels high in the Lord Jesus who will lead us. And he will do it maybe even through weak leaders because he is is a character that we admire and uh, we want to, uh, to follow him. We've got to see beyond our human leaders to the one who really leads his church. And what if you are a genuine believer and you see that verse one is really about Jesus? I think the best response is just simply tonight to take what we learn about him here, that here is the person who can reverse our failures and wonderfully put us in a new life with God as we follow him. To love him for the way that he just simply reverses our failures. And to hold on to that truth, to let it live in our minds, play on our minds, feed our joy, and to love him for that. So that increasingly we want his kingdom to come. The more we look at David and all the attractiveness that he puts in front of us, he points to the Lord Jesus and says, this is a little preview of what he is like when we see David come in front of our eyes in that way we want to cry out God your kingdom come and then when we see David topple as we will in chapter 9 onwards even more do we want to be praying Lord let your kingdom come gosh how much we need that more than anything else let this start put that desire in your heart to be led by this new king and uh, uh, wonderfully, uh, in little ways, in this life, but ultimately, perfectly and uh, fully when he comes back. I too, there were three things in that little verse that help us. Uh, there is a little third thing to notice that helps us to understand about the Lord Jesus. You noticed that David stayed in Ziklag for two days interesting is it for two days there seemed like there was no king in Israel the king was dead the other king was out of sight in enemy territory he disappeared from being but then on the third day something happens to help us to understand what this new king is like but you have to wait for two weeks and I'll come back and tell you (laughs) But let's pray first and then we'll take questions and uh, you can say whatever you like. Let's pray. Father, thank you that following the Lord Jesus is so different, so much greater than anything we may ever experience, even from the best leaders and gurus of this world. Please help us to find our joy in his kingdom so that we may stay praising him and trusting him until he comes back. As the king of our world. Help us to follow him like that now. As we live in his kingdom. For the glory of his name. Amen. Amen.